The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Welcome back to the Burrows of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and behind the glass is Rocket Man Andy Bishop. It's me. <laughs> it's me. It's me. This is going to be kind of cool. This episode is really cool. So it's another part of this testimony series that we did at Berean Bible Church in Virginia Beach. This is an unusual one. We actually had a married couple. It was Jeffrey and Veronica McCormick. And Jeff McCormick is the associate pastor. He's an elder at that church. He's like an associate pastor. He does some amazing talks. He really gets into like some deep stuff like the apocalyptics, like hmm. the sun will be darkened, you know, and he he gets into what it means. He he does a great episode on Calvinism uh, versus Arminianism. Like he's a great guy. But whenever we went down there, his wife kept talking more and more whenever he was talking. And I was uh-huh. like, why don't you just join in, you know? And that it just oh, so that's happened. That's cool. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. That's whenever you yeah. were driving back to Draft Studio. And so me and Ralph were just sitting there. We were like, why don't we just do this? It's kind of like a thing because they fell in love when they were in the military and all that. I don't want to get into that. Sure. Yeah. yeah. We'll They'll just let everybody hear it. it. So I hope yeah. you guys enjoy this one. So Jeff and Veronica. McCormick, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. And I have to say, this is the first time we've ever done a testimony series with the married couple. So I'm expecting a lot of sparks <laughs> or fireworks or fire, something. I'm not sure, but I, uh, and, and happy anniversary. Thank you. Yep. Today is your anniversary. Yep. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Everybody give them a hand. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> if you can hear that in the background. Yeah, we are actually recording live. Uh, well, not recording live. We're recording live here, but it's <laughs> on the day it's recorded. It's on the day it's recorded, it's live in front of a studio audience, <laughs> in front of the church. So it's really cool, and thank you guys so much. So that's um, the preterist view of life. The past. <laughs> the, the preterist view of. Oh yeah, life. yeah, yeah. I thought you were saying everything was in the past. Welcome. So um, let's start with you, Jeff. So. I ask every guest, and, and I'll ask this of both of you, though, but I ask every guest at the very beginning of our testimony um, episodes, can you tell me your earliest memory when you heard the name Jesus Christ? You know, I've heard you ask that, and I've kind of pondered on the idea. So it was obviously preteen, but I can't, I don't have a, you know, a recollection of exactly when. My early childhood, my parents were divorced when I was like about nine, and I'm assuming a lot of the memories I have are just pieces. And so I may not even have them all right, but I think I blocked a lot of stuff out. I remember, and I wish my parents were still alive to ask them why, or if this is really the case, or did I remember incorrectly, but I remember going to church as a preteen. I don't remember going to church with my family. I, I remember being put on a church bus. Oh, wow. And being sent to church. I don't ever remember sitting in a pew with my family. We were in a, you know, our family was, I know now in later times that my mother's side of the family, my stepfather, my grandfather was a, uh, you know, elder in the church later in life. So they, they came from a religious background. I don't think my father's side so much. 
So my mother probably had a lot of influence there, but I have a lot of memories of individual times with my parents, but not a whole lot of family time. I see pictures of all of us together, and I'm like, I don't, I don't remember that. I remember being there, but I don't remember being with my parents. So anyway, I don't know when it started church-wise, but I do remember going to church as a preteen. Um, and then my parents divorced when I was around nine, or, or that's when the divorce was finalized. And then my dad got remarried or got hooked back up, you know, started dating a woman that he dated years before he was married. And she was a churchgoer, big time. And so now she took us back to church. So now around the age of nine, I'm going with her to find a new church um, because I'm the littlest kid who could be drug around. And so we started going to church more regularly at that point. Southern Baptist, typical Southern Baptist stuff. And so while I know I used to go to other churches and other Baptist churches before that, that's when it got serious. Mm -hmm. And now the family went to church. So I would have to kind of pin it to that. Um, but yet in that same time frame, I still remember going to like youth things at a different church before that all started. And I do remember one time hearing the message and there it's talking to me and I didn't go forward. And that plagued me for the longest time. I thought I missed out my chance. I'm going to hell now. So I was at some, just some youth thing and we were, you know, playing games and then had a little talk and you need to come forward. And I'm like, I need to go, I need to go, I need to go. But you know, you're scared. You don't want to step out on all your friends and everything. Sure. And I thought I'd lost at that point. So anyway, that was, that's some of the early memories I have of seeing, you know, that whole scenario and being involved in that. But so there would have been somewhere in those probably before age of nine, um, and then, then we started going to church more frequently. And I know by the time we were 10, 11, I know it was 11-ish, we were really involved in this church. And I think it was around that time that I did walk down the aisle, did the typical, you know, how many times are they going to sing just as I am before I finally get the nerve up to go down there just as I am. And I went down and I prayed, preached with, pray with them and blah, blah, blah. And they give you a little Bible and they have all that stuff in there. So got kind of serious. Um, I know, and it's funny, uh, and again, if you, if you listen to Bob's before mine, we're all obviously recording these at the same time, but people aren't going to know if they didn't listen to them in order. But, um, and I, I decided to release all of these in order so that, okay, because we keep referencing the previous ones, so we're there just going to release them all I'm in order. I'm going to have to do that because there's been a lot of good points made. Uh, and uh, something Bob just made in his previous one was the whole thing, and this is the early 80s, so this late 70s, early 80s, rock music was, was a thing. Mm-hmm. in the church it was a because rock was kind of new well i went to church i was a good kid i didn't drink didn't smoke didn't hang out with girls that did whatever that thing goes um i was a good kid but i listened to secular music mm-hmm. i even had it so i knew in the back of my mind at least that that was my vice that was the thing that i you know i listened to kiss and and all the hair bands and all that stuff i never listened to the satanic stuff there was blatant satanic stuff never got into that it was always the just a typical sex drugs and rock and roll cleaner you know party music cleaner sex drugs and rock yeah, and roll yeah, got yeah. it not satanic <laughs> right but it was clean sex right clean got sex got it yeah. between <laughs> mutual married couples um, <laughs> is that what kiss saying about that's what got it saying about <laughs> So, for instance, like when when I was in there, I went through the what the Baptist had at that time called CWT training, continued witnessing training. And I was one of the young people that did that. And you learn how to witness and then you go door to door with, you know, like the Mormons and them do. You go with somebody else and you witness. And I remember we had all the workbooks we had to do. And 
one of them was something about a vice or something that inhibits you. And I remember putting in there that I listened to secular music. That was my weakness or whatever. So I knew there was something there, but whatever. That was what I was and went to church and all that and played softball and did all that stuff. So most, I could say I was brought up in the church because I don't remember what life was like prior to the divorce, but I just know that occasionally I was in church either by myself or with my cousin of my same age with no parental guidance, sleeping in the pews and going to <laughs> Sunday school and RAs and things like that back in those days. Um, right. And I wish I could ask my parents, why did you all put me on a bus at church and <laughs> not go to church? Um, some of that would have been before and after the divorce because I know we'd go visit my mother and then the bus would pick us up, but she wouldn't go with us. But, you know, we'd get put on the church bus. Mm -hmm. And maybe my, I'm the youngest of three. Maybe my older brothers were there. I don't recall. I don't recall ever going with anybody. So um, I have a similar, I have a similar part of my testimony. I was, I went, I was on a bus ministry too. You know, and I, I got sent without my parents. Yeah, I guess yeah, it was a thing, was a thing back then. Back in the 80s, it definitely was. It you was, just let so. kids go wild on buses wherever you, they want to take you. But it was, you know, it was nice. And like I said, we did a lot of youth things. And so I was really involved in church. Maybe didn't know to what extent I believed. I just, that was how I was brought up. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was sometime in my early preteens or early teens where I actually kind of made that decision to be more you know, we were really involved and, and stuff like that, did the whole CWT training and all that. So you learn a lot of the, uh, you know, defending the faith and some of that stuff. And that would have lasted all the way through, well, all the way through my teen years. Um, and then, and, and oddly enough, today is also the 38th anniversary of the day that I left home to join the military. So oh, wow. it was right after my birthday, I got on a bus and joined the military. So all of those teen years, I, I was the clean kid. I was the, I never drank, never smoked. I just listened to rock and roll. That was kind of my thing. Um, but I was always, you know, perfect little angel. Like my mother said, ever since I was born, I was her little perfect angel. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I'd, so I left and joined the military. And <laughs> the audience can't see your wife laughing right now. <laughs> just so you know. Yeah, good thing this is not a visual show. <laughs> Speaking of. Yeah, back at you. Yeah, so anyway, I guess that that's the early years. Um, Dead. Not a, uh, like I say, not a whole lot to report. It was just kind of like living. Can't say I was the most, obviously didn't like read my Bible all the time. You know, I knew mm -hmm. what I believed and I knew what they taught, but can't say that I was, you know, uh, real in-depth type thing. So, um, but continuing on the, uh, join the military, you go out there and of course now you're a single guy with no car, living on base, on the dorms, and the, you go to church at the chapels, and they it's a mixed bag of, yeah, you don't do that very often. It's just like, okay, I'm not getting anything here. So so then you fall into that, I'm not going to church anymore, you know, and so still was the good guy. Still was, the boy, still was I could be the designated driver at all the concerts we go to and stuff, and I was. Um, yeah, so then that would have been around the time that I met my wife, of course, not at the time she wasn't my wife. So we met while we were in the military. So um, that would be a great time for me to bring Veronica in now, since that's where you get to that point. You're the, the clean cut. You're the good military. Guy. You're the good, good guy. guy. And so I'm going to start with you now, Veronica. Let's go way back. Okay. So or however long back. I don't know when. Um, the first time that you heard the name Jesus Christ. Can you tell me when that was? Well, I grew up, and um, my parents were divorced as well, and um, we lived with my grandma, and she was very, we were a Catholic family, so 
I grew up Catholic, and my grandma took me to church, like, all the time. So I can just remember, you know, going to the Catholic church. <clears throat> so I guess I heard the name a lot <laughs> as a child. But in Latin. <laughs> How do you <laughs> say that in Latin? I didn't really speak Latin. <laughs> but um, so I grew up Catholic, and in the place where I, I'm from, New York, and it just seemed like everybody was Catholic. Like, I didn't know anyone who wasn't. And, like, we would, and in my school, you know, every I think we had catechism every Tuesday night, and we would have to go to our Catholic church and have, like, a catechism. And if you wanted to be confirmed and do the Catholic tradition of confirmation, you had to go to catechism. So everyone I knew at school was at, you know, catechism on Tuesday night. So... It just seemed like our whole community was was pretty much Catholic, and the only other there was a few Jewish kids in our class, and um, and then one Christian I can only remember was one girl was a Baptist, and the only thing I can remember about her was we were getting prepared for a um, school dance, and she was helping us decorate, but she couldn't come. And I was like, why can't you come? Well, because I'm Baptist and we're not allowed to dance. And that's the only thing that I had ever heard of any other religion and not understanding. Why can't you dance, you know? Um, so I didn't know anything but Catholicism. And then I joined the military right after um, I joined, right after I graduated too. So in basic training, I guess I'll, I'll try to lead up to where we meet. But so I was in basic training, and that was in Texas. And now I'm running into people who aren't Catholic, because I thought the whole world was Catholic. I didn't know any different. Um, and Makes total it, sense. Yeah, it, it was really funny. Does. So now I'm being surrounded by people who are witnessing to me, because, you know, they were you know, Christians. And I'm like, I don't understand. <laughs> why, why are you, why are you fighting? With, I'm Catholic. And they're like, no, you're not, you're not a Christian. And it was really interesting. So there were a lot of people who would confront me and I would argue with every one of them. <laughs> so I think I spent my whole basic training arguing with Christians because I was like, I don't understand. And, um, and then we went to tech school, and it, those same people followed me to tech school and more. <laughs> and so yeah. here I am again, surrounded by uh, tons of people that are always witnessing to me. And it was like, I can't, I can't get away from these people. <laughs> and I would, and one of the things that bothered me the most was, why do you think you, you know, they would say, well, I have a relationship with God. And I was like, well, why is your relationship better than mine? Yeah. <laughs> so it was always like, you know, like this, this confrontation. And I would fight and argue and fight and argue. But I can remember being in Texas and realizing that there's no Catholics here. <laughs> so I guess that's not the most, you know, biggest religion of the world or not whatever. Not in Texas. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, um, so the neat thing was after... Um, tech school, I got stationed at Keesler Air Force Base, which was where he was already at. And again, all the people that, you know, we were all in different tech schools and things. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, goody, I'm going to a new place. And sure enough, all those people who are witnessing to me were there too. I'm like, I cannot. One of the funniest things was one of the people who witnessed to me the most 
Um, his name was Mike. And, um, you know, we argued a lot. And so I get to Keesler and we're me and the other person I was in, this was like part two of my school. We we're at, we're in school. Anyway, we go to lunch and we sit down at the table and there's Mike right across the table from me. And, um, my friend Rich is like, Oh, you remember Mike, don't you? And I said, yeah, the religious guy <laughs> and kind of rolled my eyes because I'm like, ah, here we go. It's kind of cool that a, a Catholic girl was calling him a religious guy. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. That's it's really true. wild. So, um, you know, here we both are at Kiesler and, and then I meet my husband here who's also a Christian. <laughs> yeah. Was he a religious guy to you? Um, we had a lot of arguments. <laughs> yeah. So she, she gets added to it at this point. So, um, I was there before her a couple months before her and then she comes and a lot of the people she comes with the guy part are in my dorm. So then I'm friends with them and then I meet them, her through them because she was at Texas, not the religious ones. These yeah, are the just, just people. normal people that I ended up meeting. Um, <laughs> at, this, at this point, there were some that were not as Bible thumpers as you know we're saying before. Sure. They were just people. I ended up being friends with them, which then incorporated her as part of the group. So now she's part of the group. We, there's no attraction here. We're just friends. But I'm Baptist and she's Catholic. Mm. So that... So, yeah. And even though I, in my ignorance of what I knew at the time, still, I knew that I was right and she was wrong. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there was one of the guys that was part of our group who was from Texas with her, who was also from New York, who was also a Catholic. Catholic. So, it was like me against two of them. And then you bring in other people. and um, Which just oozes romance. It does. It does. <laughs> like, at, at this point, again, there was no romance. She was just part of the guys. You know, we just... Uh, oh, okay. She was just part of the group. And... Um, the, uh, so, so yeah, and, and she was really only at this, she was at my, I was permanent party at this, but I'm there until they move me. She's there for second phase training. So she's not going to be there long. So she's probably thinking she can escape finally. Um, <laughs> and so she's there for a while. She's in training. And then we do start hanging out and, and we have the same shift because we both work in the hospital. We have the same shift. So we become really good friends. Um, and again, no romance or anything. Um, she's dating one of the other guys, but we're really good friends because he's on a different ship. So we're, we're just all part of the same group. We all do everything together. We're good friends. She's giving me girl advice, you know, things like that. It, it wasn't, it wasn't anything there. Um, like, like listening to clean sex music by kiss probably isn't the greatest idea. Yeah. Well, yeah. She, and she liked some of that stuff, but she was more into eighties pop. So there was uh. also that problem. Too. <laughs> <laughs> kiss, it's all coming out. <laughs> kiss can take down hollow notes any day of the week. Um, Duran, Duran this. But, uh, so <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it was kind of, like I said, we, we developed a, a friendship bond and um, I guess, yeah. Um, let me see. Was this before or after? Okay. So at some point, one of her other friends, actually, he wasn't a texture with her. He was, Todd was already permanent party. Right. Somebody she worked with mm -hmm. who was also a Christian. Him and her, him and his wife invited her to church. Mm -hmm. They went to a charismatic church. Now, at that time, I was back home here visiting on vacation. So I leave. Everything's fine. Blah, blah. I come home. There's a big note on my door see me when you get home or something like that. Well, I, you know, um, so I'm back, I'm unloading my bags or whatever. And she comes pouncing in my room. <laughs> She's all dressed up. It's a Sunday night. You know, I'm back off the plane, yada, yada. I went to church and got saved. 
Really? Yeah. So she um, went. She, yeah. Go yeah ahead. So my friend Todd, who I worked with, was just uh, taking. Yeah, at this point, since I had been being witnessed to by a hundred bazillion many people, um, now I'm now I'm curious as to there's got to be truth out there, you know. There, all of us say we're Christians. There's Catholics and Protestants and Lutherans and Methodists and Baptists, and someone's got to be right and someone's got to be wrong. So now I'm exploring. So now I'm going one week to um, a chapel on base and. I remember visiting my Baptist, my, one of my coworkers took me to a Baptist church and that minister preacher yelled the whole time. And I thought, oh my goodness, he keeps he's screaming from the pulpit. It was yeah. kind of scary. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know if I want to come back here. Um, but I was trying different churches. And so at this point, um, another friend from church, I'm sorry, from work, was taking a whole bunch of people to his church, which was a, more of a charismatic church. And coming from a Catholic background, I hate to say this, but that church was fun. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you sing and you clap your hands and you're like, oh, this is, you know, kind of neat. And the pastor never really got deep into anything. So I never really learned anything. But one week there was an, he called himself an evangelist, a special speaker. And that was the week where um, he preached, and I swear everything, it sounded like God was talking to me. And um, and I always thought, you know, I was a good Catholic. I, you know, I was like him. I didn't, you know, do anything. I was a good person. I, didn't do, I thought I was a good person. Sure. And, um, but then I, during this whole, um, you know, sermon, I realized, you know what? I'm not as good as I think I am. And, um, and you feel that sin, that weight of sin. And I was like, and when he did the altar call, I had to go up. So I went up and I got saved. <laughs> and pretty um, much that was soon after that, I guess. And it was, like an, it was like an immediate thing for me. My whole life changed. I um. I, you know, started reading my Bible and I was all excited and, yeah, and he was on vacation. And so and when he came home, I'm like, off. I'm a Christian. She came in off filled with the spirit. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, and then of course that affected me because again, at this yeah. point you're on base. Now this is probably, I've probably been at this base for seven or eight months, not going to church. You don't have a car. You don't go to the chapel. You don't have any friends that have cars. So anyway, so she's like, you got to go back to church. <laughs> So now she's getting on my, even though I'm arguing, you know, theology with her. Now she gets on my case. We have to go back to church and get back to church. So we started going with this friend of hers, um, charismatic church. I'm Baptist. Mm. It was fun. <laughs> I'm also a drummer. Ah, I'm like, I need to take that position right up there. They had a nice roll in VCS and drum set. And I actually, at some point did audition for the church to play drums and it was a nice drum set. But anyway, mm. we didn't stay there very long. We did, we go, we went there. It was a big, not a mega church, but it was, it was, it was a big, big church. It was a pretty big church. One of the bigger ones in that area. And we, we went because her coworker was married off base and had a car. So we could go to church. He'd pick us up. We go. That's kind of where we got. And then we eventually, of course, that would, that would have been much later. Yeah, I don't want to jump that far ahead. But um, And then so now comes a time a couple months later when she has to leave. Actually, let me, let me step back maybe a couple months before that. My parents come to visit us in Mississippi. Now, we're in Mississippi. They come to visit us to go to New Orleans. And they get a hotel room, and we're staying in New Orleans. Well, then they wanted to come see the base. So they came to see the base where I was at on the, like a Friday. 
Well, she comes popping over because she's off. We're, we are clinical Monday through Friday. Um, her boyfriend or her <laughs> friends, you know, work different shifts in the mm-hmm. ER. Well, she's free because it's the weekend. So my parents are like, hey, do you want to come to New Orleans with us? And again, we're really good friends. So um, she's like, sure. <laughs> um, and so we get a cot and we go to New Orleans and we spend the weekend together. And then my, my stepmother, she's like, she likes you. <laughs> we're friends. No, no, she likes you. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. A week or two later, we were dating. So, um, <laughs> but then, so then that would have been maybe maybe a couple months before. Now she's got to leave. So this is, I guess, this is how you make a deal with God. So, um, <laughs> yeah, um, it was kind of you know I don't know what I was going through. I, you know I I don't know what we were barely knew each other. I mean we're talking a minimal amount of time. Literally from the time I met her to the time she was leaving was like six months. That was probably eight. You got there like in April and you were leaving <laughs> I in September. I was eight months chaining. That's all okay, maybe it was a little earlier. Maybe I met her in April. She was there longer. But, but so I basically made a deal with God. At this point, I knew that the thing that was stopping me from being serious about my religion, my theology, my Christianity, was the secular music. So I said, I'll tell you what, God... I will get rid of my secular music if you'll bring her back to me. I chucked everything. Hundreds of vinyl records, which I now wish I had. But um, <laughs> my whole collection went right in the dumpster out back. Everything that I had. I kept two albums. Striper. Two Striper albums. Ah. The only Christian <laughs> band that I had in my collection, which I had bought the previous year and freaked out about. I had heard Christian bands. Everybody's like, you need to listen to Petra. You need to, and I'm listening to Petra. And this is in the early 80s. Petra was like folk rock. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me? Put this up against Motley Crue. That's a joke. So I was so turned off on Christian music. I saw the Striper album in the record store before I bought it, way before I bought it. And I, they guys look cool. They got the spandex and everything. You flip it over. And, <laughs> it looked like bumblebees. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I thought like that shirt you're wearing. Yeah, I flip it over and it says "dedicated to number one man, number one boss man, Jesus Christ." Oh, put that back, because I had not to this point heard any Christian music that was worth my time. It was not on the same par of anything I listened to. Probably a couple months later, I bought it absolutely and devoured it. This was before I was a Christian, but I mean, before I was too got rid of my music. That album just blew me away. They were right on par with everything I listened to. So when I got rid of everything, I kept a Striper album, that first one, and a single. They hadn't released a second album yet, which came out later that year. And then I went to the record store and I found some other albums that I could easily tell were Christian bands because of the way they looked and the way they songs, which included some bands that, you know, later on to be a pretty big uh, bands at the time, Messiah Prophet, Saint, some of these other hard rock bands at the time, Barnabas, Leviticus. Um, they, obviously the names give them away. Saint, yeah. Leviticus, um, <laughs> Messiah Prophet. <laughs> so my record collection went from hundreds to about five or six. Um, and I started over. And the roommate that I was living with at the time didn't like that. And that became a hassle. So then... She's gone now. I've made this rededication of my life and music. I'm not having good times with my roommate. Some of her friends that were these Christians that used to hound her at school, I became friends with now. And so I moved in with one of them as a roommate. I got to get away from my roommate and moved in with this guy. And, uh, and we, so we were the two Christian crazy guys. Mike, 
led our Bible studies that I was now involved in while she's gone. <laughs> the religious guy. All of, her yeah. relig- all, all of her religious friends became my friends and one, my roommate. And yeah, it was, it was, so in that sense, it, you know, it wasn't like a conversion experience, but it was a life-changing experience. I went from one type of group of people to another group of people, music and everything. So I listened to Amy Grant and Imperials and stuff like that and Striper. Um, and was playing drums and started jamming with the guy, doing Christian rock stuff. And again, she's still gone, but we're still in communication. So this is when the the, the relationship started growing. Because now we're not physical around each other. We're not physically around each other, but we're on the phone all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> mm. And we really didn't have much time. We never got to the point where we had much time to really have there wasn't a real physical relationship. We dated for a little while, and that was about it. She's gone. We're on the phone. It's growing into a deeper friendship. Um, and you were gone for, what, at least a year. She left in September. And I know it sounds crazy when we do the math now. Literally, I met her like in April. She left in September. We were married by the following July. Yeah. We were together. There's maybe a month or two. She was gone from September till we got married and then passed that because they didn't put us together in the military till the following May. So were we really, does that year count? Or, you know, we were not, we were married, but separated. But all that time we spent getting to know each other on the phone all the time. So that's, that was, um, and then finally she did come back to the, uh, to my base uh, later after we got married about a year later. But during that time, I'm now I'm playing drums and I'm playing with other Christian musicians and we're playing Christian band stuff and striper stuff. And hey, my friend's like, hey, there's a band playing, some band Risen Rock playing at the chicken place down the street. Let's go see them. You know? So then we go down there and we see this long haired guy and they're playing Christian rock and, and, and Daniel band, all these other bands, striper and all that stuff. They let me sit in with them and I play a striper song on drums. Mind you, I've been playing drums about a year at this point. So uh, I did okay. But um, so now we hooked up with these guys and they're, and, and they're a Christian rock band. They're like, ooh, you know, big famous thing. Saw them a couple times over the years. Then started a Bible study with these guys and gals and people like that. And that's around the time when she came back. Um, I got an apartment. She came back. My roommate that was with me, the Christian roommate that I was living with, got married right after we did. We got married in July. He got married the following February. Apartment upstairs, our apartment downstairs, his wife and him. Anyway, so we lived close to them still, you know, real good friends. Started a Bible study with these other rockers, you know, Christian rockers, whatever. And um, at some point, we were like, there's no place around here for Christian bands to play. And we found this building in town that was burnt out. Somebody had stored paint supplies there. It was a big open room, two-story building, and they stored paint supplies. It caught on fire, burned the entire floor out. And so we got this idea of buying this building and turning it into a Christian coffee house. The downstairs is this big open room, and all of our bands can play here. And so we started doing this, and we all just started working, doing tearing walls out, tearing, putting sheetrock up and all this stuff. And during this time, we're doing Bible studies. And by the time the building got to where it was almost finished, we had decided to start a church. Mm. We still played music, but it was like we were learning things, and she would have been back at this point too. So we're learning stuff in this Bible study that is bringing us into a different view of where we all all are, all are coming from yeah, we, we started with church history that's where it started we, we, we started, studied a book that went through church history we went back into early church history 
Now, of course, now we're going to a charismatic church, but of course I'm Baptist. She's Roman Catholic, but, uh, and other people are the same way. And in church history, some of the first things we started seeing were the, the things that we were being taught in the charismatic church, those ended. You know, we started seeing this in history. This is stuff that was already being poo-pooed out at that point. They weren't, you know, church history was acknowledging this stuff as being gone. It, it started shaping a lot of things. Then we started going into later history, and we get into the Puritans and all this stuff. Now, none of us have this background, but by the time this was done, we were serious enough about things to where we're like, let's start a church. And then we started reading books by like, uh, uh, what was that book? A.W. No, A.W. Tozer, The uh, yeah. Knowledge of the Holy. Yeah. Mm. Not... I mean, sovereign, sovereign grace, sovereign, you know, but maybe not all the way because his view of God's sovereignty was like a dog on a chain that could go anywhere he wanted, but, you know, or people on a boat could go anywhere they went on the boat, but the boat was still going. It was, he was trying to describe it. It, it was kind of there, but it was, a, it was a starting point to get us into. Then we started getting into Reformed Baptist stuff, um, stuff from up in New Jersey, Al Martin, Walter Chantry, people like that. And this um, is happening at Walter your church? This is the Bible study that we're doing. The Bible study before the church starts. Well, we, we're, we're kind of in the format of making a church. But Got we're, it. We're studying this stuff in our history and Bible studies and ultimately decide by, by this time we're still working on the building. We're a little small group. Anyway, yeah, it turns into a church. We become Reformed Baptist. Okay. We are, this is a whole different world from anything. So now we're not, you know, and in that we're also moving away from dispensational trains of thought. Um, we start looking at, more of a, I guess at that point, kind of a post-millennialist type stuff. I remember one funny story, because we all still came from that background, dispensationalism. I'm talking to the guy who's kind of like the leader, and we're talking, and I can see that we're swaying away from the dispensational stuff. She comes bouncing in. I found a new scripture for the rapture. <laughs> Honey, stop. <laughs> I don't think we believe that anymore. <laughs> it was great. We lost some people at this point because there were some hyper-spiritual people that stopped coming because, what, the spiritual gifts are gone? What, they're, you know. It started getting serious. That's at the time, I think, where Christianity became real for me because now we're, we're dealing with deeper stuff. Now we're reading the Puritans. Now we're reading heavy reform material. Now, you all mentioned in one of the previous ones, if they've listened to these in order, about the Bible thumpers and the people and how Calvinism... When I say Reformed theology, of course, I'm talking Calvinism for those who don't know. Um, Calvinism frees you from that, you know, being that person that's always a Bible thumper. Mm, no. When you become a Calvinist <laughs> as a young age, you become obnoxious, <laughs> and everybody has to believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it was Douglas Wilson, another Reformed author, who's, who made the comment. He says, anybody in their early 20s that becomes a Calvinist needs to be chained up and hosed down for a couple of years before they're allowed in public. Wow. And it's true. Truth to form. Now, at this point, we became Calvinists. Now, you're headstrong. I know the truth. You don't. I'm going to show you the truth. And everybody you talk to now becomes a target, <laughs> including my former uh, Air Force roommate, who we're still good friends with. Now, he's living in Connecticut. We're living in New York. Um this would have been a couple years later, but I'm one of those obnoxious people that's trying to shove it down his throat. And he told a friend of his who he got back to me that something like, I'm not going to talk to Jeff anymore because he, everything, he thinks he's better than me. And he's, you know, that was a wake up call. Mm-hmm. Then you realize that you know, the humbling effect. So, but yeah, that was a comment, you know, the, yeah, you do become Bible thumpers in a, in a worse way. But, but yeah, so we, we, we did that and we, the church, we even met in the building when it was falling apart and it was cold and three hour sermons and 
went through the book of Titus at least five times just because it seems like every time we try to get out of it, something happened, the pastor had to start over. We elected the one rocker guy to be the pastor. <laughs> and um, and it was just, it was a great, it was a great time. Small group like we have here. I mean, and, um, but we were serious about the word. We were serious and we were listening to tapes by people, biographies, Spurgeon, Everything we could get our hands on by every organization out there at that time. Mount Olive Tape Library in Mississippi had a massive amount of, of reform stuff. And so that's where we cut our teeth and came together together on that, you know, in, in our early married years. So Roman Catholicism Baptists out the window because now we're unified in this in this one thing. Um, and you got anything to add to that? No. <laughs> We did that for a while, yeah. and then eventually um, went back to where she's from in Long Island because of her father's sickness and stuff. And so, but then we came back to the same church. So we really spent a lot of time in Mississippi. Um, we went through the whole King James only thing, um, and actually, we have we did a book burning where we burned all of our other Bibles. Yeah, because- it was it was it was bad for a while. We we were all King James. Then we had to sing a cappella. Well, that we was a, on, allowed on, to use, a, that, it's a little later. Music. Let me just tell about the story about this. So we 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 sat around in one of our long ser- sermons, and I <laughs> have. On, t- I, I got to stop you. you. Did you say you burned other Bibles? Hold on. Yeah, let me tell you this. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> we sat around and had a circle study. On the Bible translations. And I actually have the tapes of these from back in the day somewhere. And we called it Twisted Scriptures. (laughs) (laughs) Probably from my Twisted Sister days back in the 80s. And and, and a lot of it was probably based on, um, what's the guy's name from Florida? Uh, Whatever. He was a guy that was big into that. I mean... But yeah, we were all, we became King James only. And so we all had different Bibles we read from. We brought our, I brought my book. I, I had gotten the book. Pat <laughs> Robertson's the book. We all brought different translations. We sat in a circle, read all these verses together and laughed at how bad they were. And then we took them out in the dump, not a dumpster. We had a barrel because this is a Mississippi. Everybody has a barrel that burns stuff in the yard. And we burned all these Bibles. So yeah. yeah, we were bad. We were bad. <laughs> but we, um, yeah, we, but yeah, we became. But then later, yeah, then later, then, the further we studied, then we became more. head coverings and, yeah. uh, and well, acapella only, uh, and you we know, get, went into some of the more stricter side of Puritanism, yeah, and all that stuff. It, it was hard, I, and I, and it was really the acapella. Well, then the pastor exclusive psalmody acapella. Yeah, and then the pastor decided that you couldn't listen to any secular music at all. Well, but he, then it was no Christian music either because the lyrics were like not good. Not reformed. <laughs> and it was getting to the point well, where... He, but he didn't enforce this on everybody. It's kind of like he's doing it so you feel like maybe you can... maybe. So he started listening to a lot of classical music, which I did too. I like classical music. She hates it. But um, <laughs> but I still listen to the Christian music, so it wasn't a big deal. Um, and he he's back into that now. So... Um, but you were playing in a Christian band, and it yeah, was, I was playing in a Christian band. It, it wasn't a fact, It wasn't like the church said you have to do it this way. Anyway, put it that way. We spent, went away for to New York for a little while and stayed with the Reformed Church up there. Then we came back. Now the other thing about that church, we started off Reformed Baptist, and then at some point he came to us and we had a meeting afterwards after the, our meeting, and he's like, "I've been thinking about this whole um, pedo baptism thing, children baptism, infant baptism, whatever you want to call it." Presbyterianism, because you've got two sides of the Reformed view, Presbyterian Baptist. There's really no other. So, you know, this is what you kind of look at it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so here's all the people that we know that are, are, um, that are just are 
regular Baptist views, and he has a list of paper, and it's got Spurgeon and all these people. Here's all the people that are Presbyterian infant baptism, flip, 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 just pages and pages and pages of all the people we read books by that were Reformed. So then we made this big discussion. The, uh, one of the guys in the church, was his father was a Baptist minister, so now they're arguing, and so we just listened to them argue, and we're like, yeah, good point, yeah, good point, yeah, good point, yeah, good point. <laughs> By the time this multi-hour meeting, the women are in the other room, the guys are in the back room arguing. <laughs> By the time this multi-hour meeting was done, most of us came out of saying, I'm Presbyterian. And so the church changed to Presbyterian. So now we're Reformed Presbyterian. <laughs> so, of course, the other thing that spawns that is if you are a Reformed Baptist and you go to a conference where there's Presbyterians, they're going to mob you just like when you are not Preterist and you go to a Preterist conference. They're going to surround you and try to convince you the whole time you're there. And our pastor went through that when he went to a Trinity Baptist conference in New Jersey or whatever. So, yeah, fun time. Just so many fun memories. But out of that, we it really grew us into a love of church history, a love of reading, uh, heavy into Reformed doctrine. Um, and that was really what kind of spurned you into being a more serious Christian. And that's kind of where, and like I said, we were doing it together, so it wasn't like we had to convince each other at that point. How did that all lead you to... All right, now we're getting into that. Okay. So, I was all the way up to this point, it's just no problem. And real simple, right? You yeah. just, it was no problem. You just went, you started burning Bibles. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no. first, first, you're trashing records. That's right. The, yeah, and that was a promise. Yeah, we didn't burn them, but you know, you trash them. You trash the records. Now you're burning books. Burning books. So, you know, what's the next step in a cult like that? But, but I will say, though, um, I was, re- you know, I was really dispensational. And um, I was the last one. I got a new rapture verse. Yeah, no, I mean, like when they were all already post-millennial for like probably six months and I was fighting them tooth and nail until, what book did I read? (laughs) What good reform post-millennial book? And I'm like, hmm, I guess I've been wrong all this time. So I'm always like the last one to be convinced of anything. So um and of course, but now, I do study because I don't, you know, either, you know, I want to prove myself right, which is, you know, not always a good thing. Right but, to divide the word. But, you know, you, you, so I do do the studying, but uh, yeah, I was the last one to come to post-millennialism. Of course, some of the other things we were studying back then, which this is right up uh, Dave's alley, is um, one of my favorite books was The Gospel According to Jesus with uh, MacArthur. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, did it? It was highlighted with all and all the good verses. That and Walt Chantry's um, authentic Christianity, which was against uh, easy believism, similar stuff, lordship stuff. Those were the early days. Those were the early days. So. Uh, heavy reformed, heavy that. Then I started getting into uh, Stillwater Revival books out of Canada. Used to put out a lot of class. They'd reprint classic books, and I was getting amillennial books, postmillennial books. Um, There's like an amillennial book. I think it was just like. Uh, something about the Lord's return. That's when I started looking into some of the eschatology and started getting into uh, running across some of that people. Bonson was one of the first ones because Stillwaters used to put a lot of Bonson stuff out, Greg Bonson. Um, great apologetic, partial preterist, blah, blah, blah. Along with him came one of his students, Ken Gentry. You start learning about that. You hear about the Gary DeMars and stuff a little later on in life. So Stillwaters was putting out this stuff, and so I was buying stuff from them. And that's where I, I had a Bonson cassette. I remember vividly, it would have been early 90s, 3, 94. We were living in New York, which we moved back to New York around that time. So I know it was then. I remember getting a package in the mail of tapes from 
Stillwater, and listening to this tape by Bonson on Armageddon. And in that, he, just, he, he mentioned the word preterist, and then he defined it. I remember driving down the road and stopping at a stoplight and writing on the envelope that the big package came in, preterist equals preter, preterism equals past. So that was a start. I never heard the word, but that started me down the road. Eventually, Stillwater got rid of all of that because they 100% preterism came from the, you know, the Roman Catholic Church and the whatever. They totally went on that, but they fed me all that stuff with all the bonds and stuff and, and all of that for the longest time. So I was getting into partial preterism. I was reading a lot of that stuff. And then, the, you know, at that point, it would have been all the early stuff by Gentry and, 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 and House Divided by, you know, against dispensationalism because we were against dispensationalism. Maybe didn't know exactly where we stood. So that's when it started in the, in the early 90s for me and, and and all this time backing up just a little bit in the late 80s because I was only listening to Christian music I started a magazine promoting Christian music reviewing Christian bands because Christian music Christian rock was starting off and so bands were putting out cassettes they weren't getting major labels but I also thought you know I can in my magazine put hardcore reformed theology because these people are a bunch of Arminians, you know, because you, you got to convert them because you're right, you know. <laughs> so I would put music reviews intertwined with multiple art, art articles on heavy reformed theology. My ministry was to infiltrate Christian rock circles with that. Um, after a few issues, I gave it up. We had kids. I stopped doing it. Then after the first kid was a little older, I started doing it again. Um, it was called The Pendragon. Then I started as just a newsletter without the music. And I brought these for, you can't see these because you're not here watching this, but these are some old copies of the, of the thing, of the magazine, of the newsletter. And you can see where I'm starting to go with this because like in this January of 96, I have an article on how history and Bible interpret, basically basic hermeneutics and how you have to understand the Bible in the first century context. So now this is January 96, which is also the year that we started the website for the Foundation for Biblical Studies, because I had just learned how to do webs. The web was brand new. People were just getting into it. We launched it. I remember it said, how many people visited since January 96? Um, so did this in March of 1996. Two months, it was a two-month newsletter. Hope for the Future, and Introduction Post-Millennialism by Veronica McCormack. Oh, ah. This was a big struggle because she's like, should I write? I mean, should I? Yeah. Women teaching men, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> but so this is where we started with, with getting into the post-millennial things. I was selling brief books by, you know, some of the people in the early days, Vic Lockman, Bonson, some of that stuff. The, um, that, I guess, and being on the Internet then got me into this newsletter, which you can't see people who are not here, but April 97, the International Preterist Association. Little newsletter, and then on the inside it says, New Preterist Ministries, Jeff McCormack in Massac, New York, <laughs> promotes preterism on the Internet. Now, mind you, this would have been partial preterism. They have Gary DeMar, they have R.C. Sproul, they have people like that in here. Um, but it's funny because on the same page over here you got Mike Sullivan from Citrus Heights, California. So me and Mike, we were partners in 97 in a newsletter. <laughs> really? Now. That's wild. No, it gets wilder. It gets wilder. Jump ahead. Two more issues. Eight, August of 1997, same magazine. Welcoming the new Preterist Ministries. David Curtis. Ah. <laughs> Chesapeake, Virginia. David began a new church, Brian Bible Church, which now has 10 families. After, his, after he found some rejection from a former church, as he now has just recently accepted the preterist point of view. So here's a newsletter with David Curtis, 
Mike Sullivan, and Jeff McCormick. Wow. <laughs> California, New York, Virginia. All happening simultaneously. And, now we're all, and a lot of other names in here that people we all know, but they're not in this room. But that, that I, saw, I found this a couple years ago in my collection. I just thought that was cool. Not, and this was before Mike was here. It was like, look, David, me and you were in a newsletter years ago. <laughs> um, but because of me writing all that and getting on that, I got involved in preterist circles which got me on newsletters like the Kingdom Council by Ed Stevens, which was an early Predators thing. This is 94, so I know at that point I was in there. And Ed started sending books, just sending free books. Everybody got a copy of the Perusia because he put that out, that, you know, that book got a free one. Everybody got it. I got these books. I kind of knew what they were about. And like David mentioned in his testimony, they sat on my bookshelf. I am not touching that stuff because that's not good. Right. But I'm going to keep it and collect it until one day. Yeah. <laughs> one day I'll study that. So, so it, 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 it was a while. Um, I don't think I finally picked up any of those books until right around the turn of the century, <laughs> right, around, right around 2000. I remember, okay, let's look into this. And I don't know, I can't remember what prompted me. At this point, we're back in Mississippi. We went to New York. We came back to Mississippi. And I read books that Ed had sent me. All the ones I read were by John Noe. So if you know who anything, he's written a lot of books back in the day. Can't say I totally agree with where he's gone now, but back then Ed printed a book on his called Shattering the Left Behind Delusion. Of course, Left Behind was a big movie, big book. It's clickbait because the book's not about Left Behind, but it's about the resurrection and stuff. Read that. I read another book, which is brought up in one of the other previous testimonies where they talked about how the, uh, the atheists use these verses against us. I think it might've been Bob or whatever. John Noe wrote a book called uh, dead in her tracks and that it was a small pamphlet then it became a bigger book that book changed my life because he talked about Bertrand Russell and how they Jesus had to be wrong right and he proves they weren't that's right that book okay I'm done and now I start bringing it and showing it to her this would have been and by that time we're back here in, Mrs. in Virginia I'm reading these books still early 2002-ish, and I'm showing her, and she's like, yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> um, but I'm reading that stuff, and I read another book by John Noe, on, the big one on the end of the world or whatever. Great stuff. Well, I think, though, at this time that I was a partial preterist because our church was kind of teaching that we were going to a Reformed Presbyterian church, so I was fine with partial preterism. Um, and so I was like, oh, cool, the destruction of Jerusalem is what the book of Revelation is really about. So that was really neat. Um, and then he starts talking about full preterism. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> then he's trying, you know, then he's telling me, you know, well, that, you know, that, you know, Jesus came back and it's all done. And now I'm worried. Oh, no, my husband's a heretic. <laughs> ah, so, yeah. I do um, think at this point I wasn't quite there, but I was open to it. And, and yeah, she so he's talking about, well, I, I haven't made a decision yet, but I'll let you know. <laughs> And I do. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I hope he comes to his senses because, you know, obviously that couldn't have happened. Um, I think my biggest stumbling block was the creeds. Mm -hmm. How could we be wrong for 2000 years? You know, how, why the creeds, why didn't anybody else figure this out? So for me, the biggest um, stumbling block was the creeds and the fact that how could the church be wrong for 2000 years? You know, so so now he's studying, and then he decides one day in the car to tell me that, 
Well, I don't know if you're going to like this or not, but I think I'm a full preterist. And I'm like, oh, no, my husband's a heretic. So at this point now, I have to figure out how I'm going to bring him back to the faith. <laughs> I guess which is what Glenn mentioned before. So I decide I'm going to have to go study this a lot and figure it out. And it was the same thing. You know, you have all these points, and you go and you start studying the Bible, and you're looking up, and you're reading books, and, and everything I, I thought, you know, was a, a problem with full preterism, I was wrong. So I was like, oh, great. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I'm a full preterist now, too, because I couldn't prove it wrong from the scriptures. And mm -hmm. I went back to confessions of faith. <laughs> I, was, I was doing all kinds of stuff and, and um, just studying the scriptures and realizing that the scriptures prove that, you know, full preterism is right. So one of the pivotal books in her, which I was surprised, I still yeah. haven't read the book, but the book that she came away finally and said, I, I can't give up <laughs> was Jesse Mills, Daniel Fulfilled. She read a book on Daniel and she came away saying, it's true. Mm. Yeah, so, true. and Jesse Mills was in that newsletter with my name too. So he's in there, you know, anyway, um, <laughs> but Ed Stevens printed his books too. So it was, I was being fed all of this from Ed Stevens. Um, he even fed me the first book copy of the book of Enoch. So, you know, Hey, we'll take that down that path. And it's all Ed's fault too. Um, the, uh, so yeah, at this point, so now we're kind of believing it, but we are going to a reformed Presbyterian church across the water here. I have a bookstore. I'm selling books online. I start adding Don Preston books, but I've also still got, I'm, I'm carrying it all. I'm an all purpose preterist. So Gary DeMar, Ken Gentry, Don Preston, everybody. So, cause I don't want to, reveal that I'm either or I'm just, Hey, it's anything better than dispensationalism. Let's put it out there. Right. So, uh, and I'm doing that and, and we're going to this church and everything's fine because I'm not a Bible thumper when it comes to preterism. I'm not preaching it to the other people. Then a friend and I start a podcast where we're talking about all things covenant including covenant eschatology, which I know is not the greatest term because it's not the term that we would necessarily hold to now, but it's, it's good at the time. Covenant communion, covenant baptism, covenant eschatology, covenant theology. And we would have people from different positions on the show. Because a lot of Christians, as we know, will just hear what their pastor says. They, and, oh, so-and-so believe what? And they'll, they're, they're told what so-and-so believes, but they won't go to the source and ask what so-and-so believes. At the time this started... Um, one of the big things in covenant theology, one of the big issues in the Presbyterian church was the, the whole uh, federal vision thing. This is 2002. This is when we first moved back here. So this is 2004, five, six, when we started the podcast. It was a big thing. The church was dividing. Were, I won't go into all, all yeah. the federal vision is. Um, I was at the conference it started at. I recorded the conference. I didn't see what the big issue was, but it became a big issue. But nobody wanted to hear what everybody was saying. They're like, oh, they're wrong. I'm like, well, did you ask them what they believe? No, but my pastor said they were wrong. So I'm like, okay, I have friends in the Federal Vision Movement. I'm calling them, hey, get on our podcast. We want to hear from the horse's mouth what you believe. And then I started going, hey, Don Preston, we want to get you on the podcast to hear from the horse's mouth what preterism believes. And we invited people to call, not call in, but send your questions. You, we're here for you. You ask the questions, we'll ask the people. We'll take it to the source. That was our goal. And we had people on about communion. We had people on about baptism. Everything covenant-related. Um, eventually, that show fell apart. Uh, and I had, at this point, had already been somewhat uh, uh, convinced, yet not loud-spoken preterist. The show kind of fell apart. 
some bad things happened. I was told to my church leadership, they went to them and said, hey, did you know Jeff's a full preterist? <laughs> now, I, we were teaching Sunday school at the time. Um, so then the church launched an investigation. They came to me and they're like, my elder came to me with a new elder. I hear you, blah, blah, blah. And do you, is this what you believe? And he's like, yeah, I do. And the guy kind of shook his head. He's like, the guy who told him about me said you probably would backpedal. I'm like, no, this is what I believe. Okay, we're going to investigate. They didn't know a whole lot about it. You know, can you give us, write a, your testimony? They got a lot of stuff from me, <laughs> books and books. And they, didn't, and they assigned it to this new elder guy. I felt bad for him because I'm like ringing him. Through. <laughs> I don't know if they read anything. I don't know if they, all, it all ended up coming out to where they're like, look, and I'm telling you, I've got the most different preterist testimony than anybody that y'all are talking about being kicked out and everything. They came to us at the end and they're like, look, we love you guys. We can't let you teach anymore because we're Presbyterian and the Presbytery would come down upon us for letting you teach. But we love you guys. We're not going to bar you from the Lord's table. We're not going to call you heretics. We're not going to even ban you from talking to people. If you want to tell people about it, that's fine. And the guy who threw me under the bus ended up leaving because <laughs> he was mad that we didn't get kicked out. <laughs> and um, and they says, as a matter of fact, you all can do anything you want in the church except teach. You can even join any committee you want in the church. So I joined the Sunday school committee, which chooses what they teach in Sunday school. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing that I chose that I helped push them into choosing for the adult Sunday school was Gary DeMar's Matthew 24 series on video, which uh -huh. does not divide Matthew 24. But the t and I couldn't teach it. So the teacher who did teach it, of course, says, I'm not really sure I believe in that. And he's, he's trying to counteract it. I'm just sitting in class, sitting in class going, oh, you know. But anyway, it was a, a grand time as far as a testimony for that. Now, at the same time we were doing the radio show, I thought, hey, what if there's any such a thing as a preterist church? Google, 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 <laughs> preterist church. There's one in my backyard. <laughs> Wow. Brian Bible Church in Chesapeake? What? <laughs> a church? It's preterism? So this would have been 2006 or seven. So I call him, and I'm, I'm talking to him, and I found out he's Baptist. I'm like, oh, okay, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, but we're involved in this church who, at this point, the controversy was probably just around the time, not quite starting. So I felt we were in good with the church. Didn't want to leave the church. The kids were involved in the church. I thought, yada, yada, we were there in the church. We didn't leave. Uh, in 2008, I came and visited when Berean Bible Church was at the YMCA. She was out of town. I went there. Fine, neat little church, but we were still involved in our church. Then around the 2009 era is when that whole throwing in the bus thing happens. And, and, uh, and we still felt, because they loved us so much and they kept us, we couldn't really just leave and so it was about another year after that that we finally made the decision because then well, they then got they this building. Him, yeah. And I told, I, call, I remember calling Dave once and I'm like, uh, we didn't want to leave the church. I said, why don't you all do a midweek service that we can come? This is selfish of us. You know, <laughs> we don't want to come to your Sunday service, but if you all have another service we can come to, we'd like to fellowship with other preterists. And they did. Started a Wednesday service. We came for an entire year. And then eventually our kids are like, why do we not go there all the time? <laughs> The church that we went to is 40, say 40 minutes away. <clears throat> well, we thought y'all had friends over there and didn't want to leave. No, we don't, we don't like care. those kids. We don't know those kids. We don't, <laughs> we don't like those kids. 
they had no ties. They were having fun here where there was no kids. And so we said, okay. And we made the switch and we started coming here at that point in early 2011, about a year after they did it. So, um, and again, we didn't cut ties with the other church. They understood the elder, our elder tried to talk us out of it just because he thought we were still in the wrong, even though his wife read all the books for me and she thought we were right, but um, they're not together anymore. Um, but anyway, it was, it was a... Uh, so you broke up their marriage. Probably. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So. It was all done lovingly. And again, yeah. I, we were not cast out. So I would have to say that is the oddest, preterist testimonial that we... That's like, I think it's wonderful to hear that. It is. Because they, that's what yeah. we, we need more of that actually in our, in all of our churches too. Yeah. And it, you know. But it, what was sad though, was it was, you know, his best friend that threw him under the bus to be we won't go into that, with, but yeah. So we lost a few, few friends over it, but yeah. I think not it, at least the church at least took our side. <laughs> it was a bit tougher because of the timing, because mm-hmm. this happened in early 2009 and in May of 2009, our son passed away. Mm. And I kid you not, and that's a weird thing. David and Kathy came to the funeral. We didn't, hadn't seen him since, like, well, we, no, we did see him. I went to a Bible study early 2009. That was it. Yeah, I know. Hey, you got two of us in here, so um, looking at his watch. They came to the funeral. That was kind of, kind of cool. And that's when we started kind of questioning things. But about a week after the funeral, this friend of mine comes to me to have me repent. Get out of my house. This is not the time to deal with this. Right. Yeah. So a lot of things were done and said at the wrong time, at the wrong type of, uh, you know, and there's been no communications. Well, the communication that took place after that was him badmouthing me on the internet, but that's, you know, whatever. So there was some recourse, but not from the church. So uh, so from this entire time that you guys have been talking, I know we've been joking around and laughing, and that's great, but for anyone that's that's listening to our podcast that's, either new to the Christian faith or maybe they've been in the, the faith for a long time and they're in a dispensational church or wherever they may be, what kind of advice would you give them? And I don't, I don't mean predator advice. I just mean advice. You went through this journey. And to me, that's, I think that's what we all are sharing. We're figuring out that all of us are on this different journey, but we ended up at the same place. So what advice would you give to young people that they feel like, oh, I don't know if I really want to I'm afraid. I don't know that I really want to step out there and read this. It's a different doctrine. You know, oh, no. What would you say to him? Well, and I think we, we all talk about that, how, you know, you've got to be a a disciple of the word. You can't just be stagnant. I have friends that I don't think they've ever grown an inch in their Christian faith from the time I knew them 30 years ago. Yeah. Read a book. I mean, challenge yourself. You know, you've got, like David said in his message, when the elders wouldn't even touch the topic, that's sad that you're not even willing to refute it. Let's talk about it and refute it. We did have one episode where we tried to switch churches before coming here because there was a church closer to here. They had no clue what preterism was. The same guy that I was doing a podcast with, he goes in there before me to be examined for new memberships. And they, and then they asked him something about preterism. He said, yes, I'm a preterist. He pretended he was, <laughs> And then he leaves, and then I come in. Now the table's been set. Are you a preterist, Jeff? Yeah, I'm a preterist. I wouldn't, this is not something you're going to bring up at a church. I'm not hiding it, but on the other hand, now it's an issue. Now they don't know what to do. What do they do? They don't want to sit down and talk about it. They call all their pastor friends. And then they call you back. I know it's bad. It's a heresy. We're not, you're out. They didn't tell us we couldn't join, but they told us we can't even confirm you're a Christian. So why would you want to come to this church if we can't confirm you as being a Christian? Why would you want to fellowship with people that can't 
proclaim you to be a brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, we didn't come here for trouble. This would have never been an issue. I would have never preached it. We had been going there for months. Never was a topic. It wasn't a battle I was going to, a hill I was going to battle on, but I'm not going to cause problems. So we went back to our other church, which of course at this point, did you know Jeff leans that way? So they already kind of knew where we were, but the problem was when we were, I was just set to start teaching a, a Sunday school class and my friend is like, should he be teaching? You know, he's a full preterist, blah, blah, blah. So that's, they had to pull the plug on that. So, and then it became an issue. But, um, so they didn't know how, to, so that's an example of how churches don't handle it. They just don't want to, they close their mind to it and they don't want to do it. You can't do that. You've got to keep studying and you've got to challenge yourself because mm-hmm. otherwise you're just following tradition and accept where it leads you. And, you know, hopefully you won't have a bad story. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, you know, for us, it went from being just your typical pew sitting Baptist to being charismatic, to being reformed Baptist, to being reformed Presbyterian, to being extremely reformed <laughs> with all the, uh, you know, extreme Puritanism and then, you know, eschatology. And it's, you know, it's a learning process. And like David said, half the stuff that I believed when I was a Christian, I don't believe now. Yeah. I, I can't say that I hold anything I held to when I was 18, 20, 25, 30. You know, it changes all the time. You would say you, you were just as saved back then as you are today, yes, correct? Yes, right. It's a, it's a, it's a, yeah. No, I'm, so, more, I'm more saved now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's the point is for anyone that's, that's willing to take, to take the risk to study, read a book, to challenge And they themselves. have to read the Bible like our pastor says. You know, you have to read the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, because you have no clue what how it connects to the old. It's really important to read through the whole thing, mm-hmm. you know, as many times as you can. <laughs> right. I think for us it was a gradual thing because when you go from, you know, you can go from being dispensational to being anti-dispensational without really being anything else. You have to kind of see the flaws in one system and then you can eventually figure out where you fit in. You know, you go to that phase of, am I a millennial? Am I post-millennial? Whatever. It, and again, that's what I'm saying. When somebody wants to, when you start sharing preterism, they're like, but what about this? Okay, look, what about this was what I studied 20 years ago and it took me five years to get there. You know, I can't tell you, you got to build up on this. I built up on this over the past 25, 30 years. I can't just unload this into you. And that's what's the toughest thing about trying to share anything. Same with Reformed theology. Yeah, you can teach them the five points of Calvinism, but it's uh, you really got to kind of build up on the history of it, and which is why I gave that message on the history of it. Right. Where did these five points come from? Well, they came from these five points. You know, it, it's hard to unload on somebody that's not a close friend over a long time period. It's hard to have a meeting with somebody and convince them of anything. But you've got to be willing to do the study and do the work and, you know, read the scriptures and, and see what they say to you and maybe read some other books that might help you along the way. Yeah, I, I always hail back to what it must have been like to have been a physical disciple with the physical Christ here on earth and to see all the things that he did and to hear all the words that he said, knowing that he said that, hey, take up your cross and follow me or that he was going to die and resurrect in three days. Like they heard him say all these things They were with him. They saw him, you know, every single day for what, three years, three and a half years. And then after he dies, they just go back to fishing, you know? And to me, it's like, they saw him, they were with him, yet they, you know, they were like, all right, well, I love it in the King James version. I'm not King James only, but King James is a uh, Peter says, I go a fishing, you know, that's what he did. And he went back to his old way of life, but then it's not too long after that. Of course, he's standing at the temple in Acts chapter two, 
after the Holy Spirit has come, after that they've been able to understand the scripture. I was, go ahead. No, that was it. I mean, I was just saying, look at the disciples' lives, you know, it didn't happen overnight for them, right? you know, and they were with Christ walking. And I know we have Christ within us, but I'm just saying for them, we who live in this literal flesh world that we're walking through right now, it doesn't surprise me that it takes a while to pick up on some things. You got to, and you got to put in some effort. Those people left everything that they had for him. We can't just give him five minutes of our time and think that we're going to get it all. We actually have to work. And there was a lot of unlearning too, because we're not all King James anymore and we don't wear head coverings anymore and we listen to music now. And <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of things that you think are right, but are you still you... burning Bibles or no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the non-inspired version. Actually, it was funny. My, I, my cherished, I had an NIV that came out around the time that they came out was 80 something, 84. My parents bought it. It's got my name engraved in it. That one actually wasn't at that meeting. So I still have that. Uh -oh. It didn't get, my book got burned. But anyway, the, the thing I would say for people you were asking about advice, and this comes with maturity and you can't really, you can't, you're not going to, it's hard for younger people to do this, but you learn after you made so many changes, you have to not be afraid to change, but then when you do change, don't feel you got to go beat the world up about it. Everybody is on the path right. and everybody's at different places. And what I believe today, I didn't believe 20 years ago. So I don't expect you to believe what I believed because you're where I was 20 years ago. Right. And so the toughest thing for people to do is to keep it to themselves, you know, and wait for the doors to open, wait for somebody to be there. Instead, I became reformed. Everybody had to become reformed. And I'm going to tell you that I'm reformed and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. And when you become a preterist, a lot of people are going to be like, you're wrong. And they go online and they fight about it. Let the people event, you know, love people. Don't shove it down people's throat. Don't become that Bible thumper. And that's tough. Everybody isn't prone to do that. When you know something new, you got to tell the world. And sometimes zeal without wisdom becomes obnoxious and you lose a lot of friends and people like that. We could have, we, we continue going to these churches without making one single wave. Mm -hmm. If somebody asks us, yeah, we're going to tell them, but I'm not there to convert everybody to what I believe that took me 20 years to figure out because you're not there. If the topic comes up, I might give you a little bit, feed you a little bit and bring you on the road, but I can't expect you to be where I am, you know, at this point. And yeah. Ralph, this, uh, you know, we always come to this. It seems like every episode, we always come to that very end and we say, it's back to the loving one another, you know, absolutely love where you are. Yeah. That's, love. What, that's what Christ did. Christ loved you and he brought you in. And then he said, and go sin no more. He didn't beat you over the head and say, how dare you and all of this, and then do this. He loved you. He came, met you where you were. He wasn't yes. in, he wasn't in synagogue. Christ right. was on the streets with the people that needed him and he loved them. And then when he had them, that's when he said, now. Yeah. Well, I can't tell you how much it means to me that you guys were willing to be on our podcast. It means Thanks. a lot. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings in this room, but you were the first person that I saw and it was about the sun will be darkened. It was about apocalyptic literature. And I was like, who is this dude? This is cool. I'm all about it. Now I want, to, so, say something, I want to say something about that because you came to me at the conference and I, and I have to apologize because I don't <laughs> Because you were super rude to me or? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Feel free to apologize. I'm just kidding. I'm just he kidding. comes to me in between sessions and he sits down in front of me and says, you're the first person. I, this is not me. I'm like, you must be talking. David's over there. <laughs> he caught me off guard. Man, I love you. I saw your thing. You introduced me to this and, and you're really great. And that's when it comes say hi. And I'm like, 
Yeah. Deer, in, deer in the headlights. I don't even know how to reply to this. He literally was like, whatever, bruh. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you would think I'd be over with all the fans I have as a rock star, but you know, <laughs> right. for the theological rock star side of me is different. So I, it caught me off guard. I'm, I'm blah, blah, blah. What do I do? I felt bad. And then, so then for like the next few sessions, I could go talk to that guy again. Cause I felt like I just totally deer yeah. in the headlight. Didn't know how to respond. I'm like, I've never had anybody come to me and say, I saw you first. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. That was, I, it, it just, yeah, that's, that's really where it started. And when I saw that uh, about apocalyptic literature and about the sun will be darkened and it, it changed my life. And that's why I wanted to come down. Of course I continued to watch and I right. saw Mike and Bob and David and all that, you know, and so I really got I into was it. First. Hear that, yeah, but just, Bob, <laughs> Mike, yeah, yeah, if it hurts I your was feet. First. <laughs> yeah, just remember David's back there thinking hey. he's not talking again. <laughs> Chalk that up as one of mine. I brought this new member. Fam. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But Put I mean, that notch we were, on my belt. Anyway. it was all good. until you, you hadn't been kicked out of a church yet. <laughs> yeah. You were number one until you said you really liked yeah, Kiss. Yeah. When you said you liked Kiss, I was like, eh. No, just kidding. No, but thank you. And actually, this was the first time we've done a testimony, like I said, with a married couple. I think you guys are precious, and I really appreciate you guys sharing with us. And, um, you know, tell everybody tell everybody about us, will you? Like, tell everybody about what we're trying to do. We're trying, it's not just education. We want everybody to know that, yeah, you're out there, and it's... You're, maybe you're stuck inside of some sort of a cultish type world. There are books, there are people. Challenge yourself, go after it, learn more, you know, and just there will be people out there that you can find that, like I have, I've been fortunate enough to find all you guys here. And I suddenly like, ah, oh, I'm not alone. This is awesome. You know, so tell everybody about the podcast, man. And then that way that we're going to send them back to you guys. That's all we're going to do. Cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Glenn and David got it right. Read and ask questions. Yep. Don't Absolutely. be afraid to read and ask questions. Yeah. Absolutely. Don't be afraid to question tradition. And that's exactly what my podcast was about. It's like, you know, questioning traditions. I mean, yeah. Our little funky thing at the beginning, our trailer, now that I think about it, it said, you know, have you ever questioned your traditions, where they come from? What do you want to have like McCormick's Main Street right next to Crookshank Corner? We'll put all your old podcasts on there. Yeah. <laughs> not, a lot of them are out there online still. So, yeah. Are I'm they? I'm sure all of my old pastors, if they ever listen to any of these podcasts, they go, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah. That, that, I'm, that I'm starting to do this because of all my questions. I, I could see them saying, yeah, okay. For him, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Well, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I guess what we'll do now is just take a 10 minute break and we'll start the next one. So that was pretty cool. Wasn't it, Andy? I can't wait to hear it. I have not actually heard it yet. I will edit this later and yeah. I'm sure it was though, the the way you talk about it. I look yeah, forward to it. Just having that, having those two um, sitting there giving their testimony and watching Jeff uh, Jeff begins to cry, you know, because he talks about how he has all these records you know, he was talking about all these records that he had, that he, all these rock records, you know, and he loved them. And, and you know, he falls in love with his, his now wife, but then it was just this girl and they're both in the Air Force together and she gets called away, you know, like he says, he, she gets called away and he's just like, I will give you, I will throw all of this rock, this hard rock, this devil rock or whatever you think it yeah. is in the dumpster if you'll just bring her back. And he throws the stuff away and she comes back. Oh, I can, they bring her now back. Now I'm really excited. Yeah, to hear the yeah. Story. So yeah, <laughs> we're just recording this after the fact, you know, because we were so casual then. But anyway, yeah. So 
It's pretty cool. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that one. And thanks for being here, Andy. Thank you. And we will talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.